Join with me in prayer. Gracious Father, we are so grateful that we can gather this day and, and, and not work, but be together to hear your word and to receive your sacrament so that we might go forth equipped for the work you've called us to throughout this week. And I pray as we go through the Romans road this summer that you would transform us into the people with a contagious faith so that, Lord, we'd be fully equipped for the individual tasks you've called each of us to perform. Take our minds now and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You remember about five years ago in 2017, the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge? Remember that? You know, me, DT, and Ben took, all had a challenge the same week, so we waited for the hottest day, and we filled these five-gallon buckets, and we, I don't even remember who I challenged. And then I remember doing it and taking this ice bucket, five gallons worth of water, and pouring it over me. Woo! You know, it was, it was exhilarating, to say the least. When you enter Romans 9 from chapter 8, it can feel like a spiritual ice bucket if you're not paying attention. Where have we been? Here we are. We're on the Romans road again, and we're going to see, pick up where we left off last year. Um, and so the question to ask is, how did we get here? To chapter 9. What's the flow and what's the point that Paul's trying to make? Review. Paul is writing from Corinth, we believe, on his way back to Jerusalem, and he wants to go to Rome on his way to Spain. He wants the Roman church to understand fully what the good news is, because this church is a mixed bag that culturally don't jive together naturally at all. They are Jewish believers, Gentile believers, two entirely different cultures. It would be as if the West Shore was infiltrated with a bunch of African-American and Hispanic followers of Christ, and they found their way here. Would we not change? Would our worship not look a little different than it does today? For the song of praise, we probably wouldn't sing Matt Boswell's Come Behold the Mystery. We'd probably sing Kirk Franklin's Hosanna, all right? And some of you would go, uh, right? It would be a little, it'd be, it would push us. But we would push our brothers and sisters in Christ of different color by, you know, I'm not preaching for an hour because I can't, you know, it doesn't work well for me. You know, and that's their culture. That's what they're used to. And it would be, we'd work together for the glory of God. And I appreciate Kirk Franklin because this summer he's touring with Maverick City Music. If you haven't heard the, that band, I encourage you, just go to your streaming service, pull them up. You won't sit still when you hear these young, passionate followers of Christ sing to the glory of God. 
And so Kirk Franklin is 52 years old, and he's passing the baton. He's so cool. He's so cool. And he played at Blossom last Friday night to a sold-out, sold-out Blossom Music Center. I appreciate him because he reaches across racial boundaries. And, and you go to the concert, there's white people, black people, Hispanic people. And that's what Maverick City music is. It's gospel. It's, it's predominantly black gospel music. But they get it. They really do. And I thank God for them. But that's what's happening in Rome. You've got these different cultures all coming together. These Jewish Christians, some of them were expelled. And they've returned. And Paul wants them to all be singing off the same sheet of music in Romans. That's where he is. So he speaks to the issues that they're dealing with as a church. And he starts out by setting out the gospel with a great theological depth. To read Romans is gospelizing. Putting out the gospel with a deep theology. That's what we're doing here. And that's why we do it every year. Take a couple chapters. But you cannot do chapter 9 without chapter 11. You can't. You're going to soon see why. All right? And so uh, he starts off by chapter 1 talking about how the gospel is all about the revelation of the righteousness of God expressed in Jesus and what God's saving righteousness and shows both how the Jews and the Gentiles alike are both in the dark. Because of sin. Gentiles, because of their ignorance, their idolatry, their immoral lifestyles, their impurity. But even the Jews, with all their rule keeping, and, and even though they had the law, they're still faced judgment. Their election doesn't excuse divine impartiality in judgment. And God has revealed himself, however in his saving power to Jews and Gentiles alike. And it comes forth through faith in Christ, whom God has set forth as a redeeming sacrifice for Jew and Gentile alike, a sacrifice for our sins as our Redeemer, in whom one can be justified. So Paul continues, and he says, we need to be like Abraham, who is the forefather of faith, whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. Abraham is the one whose steps we walk in because he was saved by faith, justified he's the prototype christian so then paul pans back a little bit and he wants to present a bigger scope and how all of humanity is standing before god either we are in adam or we are in christ and paul encourages the roman church to be in christ which gives you a union with christ which gives you a power for moral renewal and transformation which you could not be as just a good person or a moral person in the law. And so last year, we dove into Romans chapter 7, where we realized when you walk with Christ, guess what? You still struggle with sin. You're saved by grace. You're sanctified by grace. But we have the Holy Spirit that we need to live the Christian life we're called to. And so we heard Nate read for us that great conclusion of chapter 8. And it really is, you know, drawing to a wonderful crescendo where Paul says, No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who, who, uh, who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you could do is just hear a resounding amen. And Paul could have stopped there. And we'd be totally satisfied, wouldn't we? Ice bucket. Wake up. There's an elephant in the middle of the room. After all this has been said, if you read it, and I encourage you to do so, go read verses 1 through 8. This question, the elephant will appear, right? Because what's happening, he goes on to address the issue of Israel's unbelief. Chapter 9. Chapter 10, he's going to talk about Israel's present. And chapter 11, he's going to talk about Israel's future. Okay? In the Old Testament, God seems to have made so many problems to the salvation, for the salvation of Israel. And yet, as Paul looks around him, most Jews seem hardened to Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And so two connected difficulties arise from this. One it might seem that God's character might be called into question. For if God plans, for if God's plans for the nation of Israel have not come to fruition, it might be that his word is not reliable. Two, Israel's spiritual state could shake the Christians' assurance for salvation. For if his promises to them have not been kept, how can we be sure that nothing can be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus? as Paul has just proclaimed, right? And we have the same concerns. Romans was written to the church in Rome, but it also was written for us in our learning. And we all have people around us, people we love, family members, friends who don't embrace Christ. They might say they believe, but there's no lively faith, right? So if they're not safe, how am I safe? I told you it was a heavy elephant. Well, Paul gives us today an introduction to this ice bath with these great truths for each and every one of us today. First of all, he's telling us the truth, number one. Two, we have everything we need. And three, God's word doesn't fail. First, he's telling us the truth. Number one, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul is hurting so much that Israel is responding to the gospel the way they're responding. That he was willing to forego heaven and suffer damnation if that would bring their salvation. Can you imagine? Though Paul knew such a bargain was really impossible, it's a rhetorical statement, obviously. His emotions are real. Because he loved his fellow countrymen. He longed for their salvation. He was proud of his Jewish heritage, as we are proud of ours. Loving our family and friends who don't know Christ, we too long for them to come to faith in Christ. So Paul gives us these chapters in order to Take this elephant, chunk away at it, and we're going to see how much God truly does love us in Christ. 
And it's true, but he speaks the truth in love. And for some, it's a joy, and for others, it's initially a hard pill to swallow. But he's speaking the truth just like an intervention with an AA member who who needs to go to AA, who needs some intervention. Al-Anon, you know, when you have an intervention for someone who's an addict, they're not looking for it. And so you bring them, you surprise them, and you say, we're not leaving here unless you're going to rehab. And so they're speaking the truth. A person may not want to hear it. But the church in Rome, and we need to hear this great truth that Paul has for us. Secondly, he reminds them and us that through God's word, we have everything we need. Verse 4, they're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh that is in Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. You know? came from them and those of us who have loved ones who are lost we know something of this people who've got everything they they need they've heard it they just don't respond we may enjoy them we may laugh with them we even play with them but there's always a anguish in our hearts for them right we know what this is like Luther said, love is not only pure joy and delight, but it's also great, deep heaviness of heart and sorrow. And Paul's immense heart for them ached for Israel. Paul knew his constant interaction with his fellow Jews, that his insistence was often lost with this objection. Paul, I know we have all the privileges, that you mentioned, they're, if they're so great and we are lost, well, it's God who's failed. He hasn't kept his word. In anticipation to that response, Paul defends the character of God throughout the rest of the chapter. Okay? So, the next couple of weeks might be hard, but I want you to bear with me. Okay? Don't miss a Sunday. If you do, you go on vacation to Myrtle Beach. I get it. Listen to the podcast, all right? It's there. But read all 9 through 11. Don't take 9 in isolation. Because Paul is tracing the history of God's dealing with Israel and shows God to be righteous and just. A word of caution before we proceed. This is probably the least popular scripture in all of the Bible. Paul bases his defense of God's character on the doctrine of predestination and election, which teaches that before the world was created, God chose those who would receive salvation. It doesn't jive with our natural way of thinking. In fact, this section runs so counter to our natural way of thinking And most ministers never touch it. All right? If you grew up in the Episcopal Church, it was never in the lectionary, and this is the first time you're ever going to hear this publicly read. All right? Number one. So I went to my heroes. You know, who are my heroes? You know, modern-day heroes. 
went to Keller. Tim never taught it at Redeemer Presbyterian for 30 years. I don't blame him. It is New York. It's very secular. But he did Romans 8. He did Romans 10. He didn't do Romans 9. I get it. But as one who promised you that I would preach the full counsel of God every year through two chapters of Romans, pastorally I added chapter 11 because believe me, by the end of Romans 9, we're going to need 10 and 11. We are. And many of you know of what I'm talking about, okay, and know why. Some of you guys are smiling, and some of you are, like, shocked right now. Hang with me. Hang with me. But we must, I promised you that I would preach the full counsel of God. I never heard this until we were members of Cornerstone Presbyterian, where Kim and I wrestled with what we believed. And I'm going to teach both authentic views of how to view this doctrine, okay? But this doctrine gives you great confidence in who God is, all right? And we're going to look at it, and we're going to love one another, and we're going to stay united, not divided, okay, brothers and sisters? I also believe it's appropriate to say that what is taught here is completely beyond our understanding, Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is beyond us. If you completely understand the doctrine of predestination and election, God will make room for you as part of the Trinity, okay? You know, let's just kind of own that. There's two great truths that are being taught here. God chooses whosoever will, God will receive. And they're both true. We're going to hang, hang these together, all right? They seem opposite. They're not in a mysterious way. Okay? So hang with me. God is beyond us. And despite our frailty is of the greatest importance, though, though we may not fully grasp it all, we, we can understand what God has written for us and what the scriptures teach and believe for it impacts heavily on who we believe God is, who gets the credit, and how we live our lives. And in our day of horizontal focus and personal experience, the concept of God is so uninformed and foggy, the need for scriptural teaching here, quite frankly, has never been greater. And I, I would add that many of our heroes believed a more reformed view of this doctrine, which we'll talk about next week. St. Augustine, Tyndale, Wycliffe, the hymn writers, Isaac Watts, John Newton, the great Anglican evangelist George Whitfield, the revivalist theologian Jonathan Edwards, the founder of the modern missionary movement William Carey, the great reformers Luther, his cohorts Melanchthon, the French re reformer John Calvin, Thomas Cranmer, Zwingli, Huss, Knox, a host of Puritans 
English Puritans, Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle, John Stott, J.I. Packer. On the other side, you have Billy Graham, a different way to look at this, John Wesley, Chuck Swindoll, you know, my great professor, Rod Whitaker at Trinity School for Ministry. So Anglicans have disagreed about this, all right? But wrestle with me, okay? We're going to go in a wrestling match just between you and the Holy Spirit, some of you. Some of you are like, yeah, go, preach it, Gene. Yeah, you know, because we're all in different places of our journey, okay? It's okay. It's a basic element of Christian theology about who God is and who gets the credit. Third, and finally, God's word will not fail us. Verse 6, but it is not as though God, the word of God, has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham because there is offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. As I've just mentioned, this is a mystery. So there's holes in both arguments. There are unknowns no matter what position you hold. But no matter what position you take, it's not as if the Bible has failed you. Stated positively, the Bible is successful in bringing salvation to people. And that's our experience, isn't it? So concern for his own people, Paul is tackling a broader question raised by the unbelief of the Jews concerning the reliability of God's word to his people. It's important. Ha has God reneged on Israel? His promises? I mean, after all, Genesis 15, your family will number as the stars, Abram. Right? 2 Samuel 7, 16, your throne, David, will be established forever. So Paul immediately in chapter 9 denies this suggestion. And we'll take the rest of this chapter to explain why this isn't true. For God promises salvation for all his true people who will also be Gentiles as well as Jews. In other words, God remains faithful to his people. It was true then and it's true now. So let's define our terms. What do we mean by salvation? Salvation means the death and res resurrection of Jesus Christ and believing in those historical acts that we can be right with God in the present, we will dwell with him in the future. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, we stand today and in the future righteous, meaning morally perfect. Let me repeat that. When you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are righteous before a holy God standing morally righteous because you have the righteousness of Christ without sin in his presence. Not because of your performance and my performance, but because of Christ's performance for us. And we believe that. That's good news. And the question is, do we really believe that? That's what Paul is holding out. Because it's not as if God's word has failed us, as Paul has just mentioned. Let us trust it completely in every aspect of our lives. 
The story is told that at a bazaar in India, a local farmer came to the market and he was going to sell some quail. So he brought them all together and they all had one, uh, they had their leg held about by a string and he put a stick in the middle of about 20 quail and he put a little ring at the end of the string and he put the string over the stick so the quail just walked around in a circle. Okay? Well, a Brahmin came by and Brahmins have a, a high view of all creatures. And he thought this was very, very cruel. So he decided, I'm going to buy them all and free them. All right? So he did. And so he said, cut all the string from these poor quail. So the farmer goes, all right. Cut them all up. So the Brahmin says, all right, boys, fly, fly. So they flew a little bit. Then they came back together and they started walking in a circle again. Because <laughs> that's all they knew. Right? Unfettered, they kept going in circles as if they were still tied. Salvation in Jesus Christ cuts the strings so that we can be free in Christ, not in Adam. Cuts the string of sin and rebellion and doing it my way. No. And so for some of us, because we are his people, we have trusted in Jesus Christ. Perhaps it's time to flap our wings and start to go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for this word as heavy as this elephant is. We just pray that it would be light for us as your people. Because it is a unifying doctrine. That we're your people. You chose us, and you call us to be yours. We pray, Lord, that in so studying this subject this summer, we would recognize that you do indeed love us in Christ. You've cut the string of rebelling and doing it our way, that we may fly in the fullness of the abundant life in Christ like we've never before, and thus exhibit a contagious faith no matter where we're found. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.